be continuing our series in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, as we walk through the Ten Commandments, uh, and we have made it now all the way to number nine. We are in the ninth commandment, the commandment not to lie, is how I will summarize it for now. And I think for me at least, whenever I hear this commandment or think about this, I have two things that, that generally come to mind right off the bat, right? Maybe I'm just kind of... Uh, telling you a little bit about myself, but there's two things that come to mind. The first is that this command should be for, well, politicians, right? For, for famous people, right? This is the command they need to hear about, right? And, and we kind of love doing that. We love uncovering people's lies, especially, you know, famous people up front. You know, we want to we try and catch them. There's a little, bit of, a little bit of joy we find in kind of catching someone in a lie and kind of exposing that. Second thing that comes to my mind, at least, is sort of to, to ask the question, yeah, but, but what if? Yeah, but what if, what if this situation, what if that scenario, right? What if, what if you're in World War II in Germany and you have Jews hiding in your basement and the Nazis come to the door? What about that? Is it okay to lie then? Can, can we lie then? What about this situation? We kind of want to jump to these sort of extreme ethical dilemmas and say, yeah, but what if? And so this morning, I'm not going to do either of those things. <laughs> Because the truth is, the Word of God is for us here today, and it's not hypothetical. Actually, this is the Word of God for us. And so, before we start applying it to, to people far away, people who you know, we don't necessarily know, before we, we start running away on all these philosophical discussions, which, by the way, maybe we need to have, we need to start and say, well, what does the Bible have to say for me? What is this telling me here today, and how am I called to apply it? So as we look through our passage, that's what I want us to focus on. And I want to really go through in three different ways, three different sections I want to pull out of this command. See, we have been noticing throughout this series that, that each of the commands, especially the negative ones, often have a positive on the other side that we are called to do. Right? So we looked, you know, right at the beginning, we looked at idolatry. We said, actually, that's a call for us to worship God rightly. We looked at murder and said, actually, it's a call for us to understand, to respect the sanctity of life. And so it's the same here today. The commandment, and let me read it properly here, Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's actually a call for us to be truthful. To call for us to be truthful. And so I want to look at it in three ways. First, the exhortation to speak the truth. And then the call for us to love the truth. And finally, to proclaim the truth. So as we walk through, I'm going to break it down into these three ways. So why don't we begin now in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you speak to us that you do not leave us alone. And Father, I pray this morning, as you speak, as your word is heard, Lord, I pray, convict our hearts. Allow your word to speak powerfully, Lord. Humble us that we might receive what you would have, that we would apply it rightly, that we would love the truth, and that we would long to proclaim what it is that you have done. And so, Father, we ask these things now in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.
Well, as we look at this commandment, we're going to start off with just simply the exhortation to speak the truth. It's probably the most direct thing that we can understand from our passage. And let's just start by understanding really this particular command. Before we kind of expand it, let's understand what does it mean in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 20, verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so while we generally kind of we summarize, just like I did, don't lie, the way that God has worded this is on purpose here. Right? He actually means the way he has phrased it. And in fact, it's a command, both as a requirement for truthfulness, but it also establishes a legal system for the nation of Israel. You see, you can kind of hear that even in the phrase, sort of this bearing witness. Right? It sounds like a legal word, and that's because really it, it is. It has that connotation with it. See, in the Old Testament, you've got to remember that there's no forensic scientists, Right? There's, there's no CSI team that comes in after a crime that can kind of analyze all these things and then give a report. No. How would you understand what has happened? Well, in Old Testament, it meant there was a witness. There was an eyewitness who could come and actually testify, give his witness, his account of here is what has happened. And it would serve to either convict or exonerate a person. And in fact, the Old Testament has a lot of conditions on those witnesses, right? It's not just sort of anyone wants to jump in and say something, go ahead. No, no, you actually had to be, well, an eyewitness, right? And in fact, there had to be more of them. It wasn't just sort of one person can walk in, I don't like my neighbor, I accuse him of stealing. And then everyone would just go, okay, you, you stole, you have to pay it back. No, actually, there had to be more than one witness. There were some guards, some safeguards around this process. In fact, there was even more so that if you did come into court and you actually did give a, a false testimony, you actually you know, gave a false witness, actually what was going to happen to the accused person would actually happen to you. So if you go to your neighbor and you are accusing him of stealing and he needs to pay you back and it comes, to, it comes out that you were lying, actually what would happen is you would actually have to pay him because you slandered his name. And that got even worse when, in fact, a lot of the penalties would come to the death sentence. You don't want to be the guy who is accusing someone falsely, and then you are the one put to death. So there's a lot of safeguards around this process, but what God is doing here is he's, he is establishing, here's how you ought to function as a society. Here's how your justice system is to work. It needs to happen on the basis of truth. But as you start going through the Old Testament, as you start reading through the law, you realize, actually, this commandment starts getting used in a lot of different areas. In fact, it starts getting used in business. You are to be truthful as you conduct business with one another. It comes into play as you write contracts, as you take out a loan or as you loan to someone else. In fact, then it starts getting expanded even more so into every area that you are talking to someone else. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not steal. We dealt with that last week. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so while this commandment was, was sort of specifically going to refer to testifying in court, 
Actually, more broadly, it gets used for every single situation in life. In fact, every time you're talking to someone, you are called to be speaking the truth. And I might add, now speaking the truth as far as you are able. Right? Every once in a while, the, the question kind of comes up, you know, well, what if I just make a mistake? What if I make a mistake? You know, is that a lie? Did I lie to that person? Well, well no. We're called to be able to tell the truth as far as we are able. A lie is something we're going to say to someone, or you might even say communicate, because you could probably lie by nodding your head, right? So it's a lie that you are communicating to someone that you believe the opposite. So if I affirm something is true, but in my head I'm going, no, it's not, that's a lie. In fact, it's, it's affirming something you believe to be false. In fact, as you think about it, this starts to weave its way into every other one of the Ten Commandments. Especially, we could say, those last couple, right? Murder, adultery, theft. All of them are going to involve lying. All of them involve some sort of deception of of tricking someone else with what you say. We lie to cover up other sins. We lie to cover up other lies. We lie to cover up all the other things we don't want people to see. In fact, I'm going to suggest this is probably one of the most frequently broken commandments simply because we have the opportunity to break it every time we open our mouths. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. See, this is a verse that always makes me nervous personally, because I spend most of my days talking, and there is always this temptation, there's always this chance that I'm going to speak poorly, that I'm going to be tempted and actually lie in the course of what I do. See, this is why James also writes, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says, look, if you can get control of your mouth, if you can get control of the things that are coming out of your mouth, you are going to be restrained from a whole host of other sins. See, it's our mouths that get us into trouble most often. As we multiply words, so we multiply the chances that we have in order to break this commandment. In fact, it's probably one of the most naturally broken commands. Right? You can think of just a little, little toddler, little two-year-old running around, chocolate all over his face, crumbs down his shirt, and you say, did you eat the cookie? No. No one taught No one taught them to do that. No, it's just natural. We naturally breathe out these lies because we want to cover up and we don't want other people to see who we really are. Lying quickly becomes second nature. And even as we get older, we might think that we lie less, but I think we just get better at it. We get better at covering everything up. And in fact, we start then justifying all of our lies. Right? We, we become really good at that. I, I, can, I can spin things so that my lie makes a lot of sense. Right? I'm not hurting anyone. Okay, so it's fine. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, right? I'm not testifying against them in court, so, so that lie is okay. Right? No one is going to find out it doesn't matter. 
Or we say, you know what? They don't really want to know the truth. They don't really want to know the truth. My spouse doesn't want to know where I actually go after work. If I told them, that would only hurt them. So, so actually, they don't want to know the truth, and I'm being the good guy by sparing them, and I'm protecting their feelings. We have all kinds of ways to excuse the lies that we tell. I want to protect someone's feelings. I want them to feel good about themselves. Right? A very classic scenario is, is the wife who's trying on a brand new outfit, standing in front of the mirror, and she looks over at her husband and says, does this make me look fat? And the husband freezes. And he thinks to himself, I should lie. Right? We have all of these ways of excusing what we do. And I think the problem is we haven't stopped to consider the consequences. We don't often stop and consider what would my lie actually bring about. So let me take that last one for an example. Right? The wife who's trying on a new outfit, husband thinks, that doesn't look good. And then she asks him, well, what do you think? Right? The temptation is to lie. The temptation is to just say whatever it is that she wants to hear. But let me say, husbands, tell the truth. I didn't say insult her. I said tell the truth. Because you can actually still tell the truth, but you don't have to make it horrible. You don't have to make it harsh. You can simply say, you know what? That's not my favorite outfit. Right? I don't think that one is particularly flattering. I don't think the color is quite right. Right? You can say something like that and be very honest, very truthful. I don't think that's the best. But here's the thing. Wives, I I know you're thinking, I don't want to hear that. I don't want my husband to tell me it doesn't look good, but consider the alternative. See, the alternative is not only are you going out in an outfit that doesn't actually look as flattering as you might think, the alternative is actually your husband has just lied to you to your face. Actually, that's way worse. It's way worse to now build a marriage, build a relationship that is based on a number of lies. See, we don't often consider in the course of all of our justification, in the course of all of our excuses, our thought, I'm just going to smooth things over. I'm just going to make myself look a little better and there won't be any problems. Truth is, what we're doing is we're building ourselves up by playing Jenga. Right? You've played Jenga, you get the little tower, it's all put together. And then you start making it taller. You start building up this little tower, and how are you doing that? Well, you start ripping out pieces from the foundation, and you start putting it on top. Truth is, when we start to lie, that's exactly what we're doing. We're ripping out our own foundation, we're ripping out our own ability to be considered trustworthy in anything we say in order to make ourselves look better. It's like ripping up the floorboards to build a roof over your head. Eventually, you are so destroyed. The foundation's been so corroded, so corrupted, everything comes crashing down. It makes a really fun kids game and a really horrible result in our lives. See, the truth is, if if your spouse can't actually trust you, your relationship is in massive, massive peril. 
You can't have friends that you don't want to trust, let alone a spouse. And so the call on our lives is then we are called to speak the truth. It's the reason God gave this command that we would not be crashing down. Because the truth is regaining trust is incredibly difficult. How could I possibly trust anything you will say when I know you as a liar? See that? That is the consequence we don't often think about. It's the problem that develops that we're not often willing to consider. So while we keep excusing ourselves, our lies for all types of things, the reality is we're just waiting for the tower to fall. God says, speak the truth. Make it a habit in your life that you will continually tell the truth, the truth in love, the truth with grace, the truth with all kinds of mercy, yes, but the truth is always what leaves your lips, that we would be known as a people who are truthful. But here's where it becomes even more difficult. Because the command is not only that we would speak the truth, the command is also that we would love the truth. The command not to lie is actually a command to love the truth. And here I'm going to ask, or I'm going to make the point, actually, they're quite different, aren't they? Because I can speak something that is true, and inwardly I can say, I hate this. I don't want to do this, begrudgingly rejecting everything. And the truth is we won't stay there long. See, God gives us a reason for why we are to tell the truth. And it's more than just the avoidance of all of the difficulties. Actually, it becomes, it's a command to love the truth because it is intrinsic to God himself. God himself is a truth teller, and we are called to represent God. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should tell a lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? See, the answer to all of those questions is no. God won't tell a lie. It is not in the nature, it's not in the character of God to lie. And therefore, actually, we can trust him. See, we can trust him because we know that his word is trustworthy. In Hebrews, it talks about the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And this is what the writer says. He says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. It is impossible for God to lie, and therefore we have a reason to actually hold fast, to trust in his promises. Paul again will write, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In fact, every word that comes from the mouth of God is true and is trustworthy. A few months ago, we were studying through the book of John, and we were reading John 17, 17. It's Jesus praying right before he is crucified. And this is what he says. He prays for his disciples and says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
See, that's the point, that everything that God says, everything that he is doing is the truth. He is not lying in all that he does. And so why are we called to now not tell a lie? Why are we called to speak the truth? Because we're called to love that which is the very character of God himself. More than that, we are called to actually represent him. See, back in Genesis, when God creates Adam and Eve, when he creates all of us, he makes us in his image. We are to be his image bearers on the earth. That is literally, we are to reflect him. We're to be these little mirrors, always reflecting who God is and his character and his purposes on the earth. And here's the thing. God actually cares about how his image is being displayed. God cares about how his image is being used. And we can understand this. We see this all the time, right? You hear of a company that has uh, fired someone. They've fired an employee because of nothing to do with their job performance, but it's because of something entirely different, right? Because of something that their employee said or did that, that disgraced their name. So back in 2016, there was a baseball playoff. It was between the Toronto Blue Jays, Baltimore Orioles. And during this game, as it's a playoff game, there's a lot of pressure on the teams. They're playing hard. And from the stands, as one of the outfielders is running for a ball, out of the stands comes a beer can that gets thrown at the player. Now, can never hit the player. It was totally fine. But there was an outrage. I mean, all of social media blew up. Everyone was angry at this guy. How dare you try and compromise the game like that? And the truth is, here in our digital age, there's cameras everywhere. Eventually, they found out who the guy was, and he was actually a sports reporter. He was actually a sports reporter. And as soon as that came out, the company he worked for fired him. Why? Well, it's because he had done something that brought disrepute, that brought a bad name to their company, and they said, we don't want our name associated with anything like that. And the same same is true for us, right? If you were to go and open the paper tomorrow morning, and you see your name printed in big, bold letters right on the front page, and it was just, and it was a article, we can choose something ridiculous, Right? says your name is in support of dogfighting here. You would immediately panic. What? No, I'm not. I have nothing to do with that. We would call in, say, hey, you've got a printer retraction. This is ridiculous. We'd be outraged. Why? Because how dare they misrepresent my character so much? See, the same is true of God. See, the same is true of God when he has made us to be in his image, has made us to be his image bearers, and when he is a God who never lies, every lie we speak is against him. In fact, more than that, we could say God has even created our words. He has given us the ability to speak with one another. In fact, God has created communication for his purpose that we might actually praise and worship God, and that we might encourage and build one another up. You remember what happens in the Garden of Eden? As Adam and Eve first sin, and 
Sin has now entered into the world. God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, did you eat that fruit? And what does Adam say? Adam goes, yeah, but, but it was that woman that you gave me, God. She's the one who made me do it. See, as soon as sin had entered into the world, what happened? Our communication, our speech, which was used to praise God, is now reviling and blaming God and is blaming other people as well. You see, the truth is, sin distorts and it wrecks our communication. Lying is not merely the misuse of God's creation. It's the uh, bad reflection of his image. And actually, it's an opposition to his very character. In fact, Proverbs 12 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. See, the reason God hates lying, the reason God hates these falsehoods is because it displays inaccuracies. It uh, drags his name through the mud. And also because our lying actually displays a heart that's opposed to God. Jesus says in Matthew 15, he says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. See, every once in a while, we, we, we tend to think to ourselves, oh, you know what? My words, they don't have any big impact. They don't really matter at all. I can just say things. It, it doesn't really reflect who I am. Actually, what Jesus is saying is, your words came from somewhere. Your lying words came from a heart that loves deception more than it loves the truth. And so if the call on our lives is that we are to speak the truth, it means we actually need to love the truth because our words flow out of our hearts. See, we try and cover up who we are. We want to Photoshop uh, the picture of ourselves. We try and t tell enough lies to airbrush out all the warts, all the scars, all the bad things we don't want other people to see. And Jesus says, that's because your heart loves deception. It loves to be hidden. It loves to be away from what the truth is calling us to do. And we think that if we have enough lies, we will be safe. And so here's really the problem. The problem is that the gospel stands in direct contradiction to this. The gospel says, confess your sins, expose them, drag them out into the light, and confess them before God, and you will be forgiven. See, the same, the, these two can't coexist in our hearts, both a confession and a desire to hide them from other people, even from God. In fact, Jesus says every word that comes out of our mouths will one day be judged. In fact, we will one day stand before God and all of our lies will be painfully exposed before all. Every intention of our heart made bare. And the truth is we don't necessarily know when that will be. You see, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a, he was a pastor. My mom, one of the godliest women I know. And they raised me in a Christian home. I knew about Jesus, but I also had a sinful heart. 
because I wanted to lie my way through everything. And in fact, I realized quite early that if I just said the right things, everyone would let me do whatever I want. I could lie, I could deceive, I could get away with anything and everything because all I had to do was just lie. One day I came home and my uncle had been killed in a car accident that morning. He was in his mid-30s, no plan to die that day, and suddenly he was killed. Suddenly he was standing before God. And suddenly I realized, you know what, I I don't actually have a guarantee that I'm going to continue to live through each and every day. And that one day I will stand before God. And the question is, then what am I going to say when I meet him? What shall I say when I stand before God who I can't lie to, I can't hide from, all of my life is on display, what will I do? See, our only hope is that the very God whom we have dishonored, whose name we have dragged through the mud, whose gifts we have abused, might send his son to die in our place. See, that's why Jesus came, that he might come, that he might bear our sins for all of the lies we have said, all the lies in our heart, that if we confess them to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says, turn away from your lies and confess your sins before God and he will forgive you because Jesus has died in our place. That's what the gospel is. It's an open acknowledgement of our failures and it's a pleading of mercy because we can't build a Jenga tower high enough to please God. In fact, God is the one who gives us a new heart so that we would actually turn from loving our deception to loving the truth because it was in the truth, it was in the truth that we were set free. See, that's the good news that is open to everyone, to anyone who would confess their sins, who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. That is the salvation that we have. In fact, that is how we can live as free, as victorious in Jesus Christ. It's because his death has set us free. And so that means we not only speak the truth, we not only love the truth, we proclaim the truth. See, we actually get to proclaim now this good news, this very thing that has saved us the very gift we had been using to deceive others, to make ourselves look good, we now say, I am a sinner, but let me tell you about the greatness of our Savior. We turn our words from lies to now proclamations of the goodness of God. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. See, that's the transformation that comes forward. Actually, now, you're no longer lying. You're speaking truth. You're speaking the knowledge of who God is and what he's done. Again, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
See, God has actually redeemed us, taken us, transformed us, given us a new life so that we might go out with this ministry of reconciliation, so that we might use our words in such a way that we spread, this is what God has done. This is the reconciliation that we have in Christ, that we become the little image of Christ here on earth. Paul again writes, Ephesians 4, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. If we are to become more and more Christ-like, it means we learn to speak the truth continually that it flows out of our mouths, that it is the habit that dominates and that continually flows out of our mouth, even when that truth might harm us. See, if Jesus is our example, it means we don't simply speak the truth when it's easy. We don't simply speak the truth when it's nice and we're sure that it'll go well. No, Jesus was crucified because he spoke the truth, yet we are called, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love because you have a greater purpose. Again, the same same letter Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that we may give grace to those who hear. See, what Paul is saying is that if we are to obey the gospel, it it transforms. Put away falsehood. Rather, speak the truth in love. Represent Christ. And by so doing, then build up your neighbor. Build up those around you in Christ. See, we all have those people we know. These people seem to have just, just a magnetic personality, right? You want to be around them no matter, no matter what they're saying. You're just interested in what they have to say. See, so often that's because these are people who are invested not in how great they are, but they are building up others by every word that they're saying. Whether or not it's, it's directed at you, you, you listen to them and you think, yes. There's so much truth coming out of them. I I want to know that. I want to be like that. Paul is saying, I want you to use your words in such a way that it is building to your brothers and your sisters around you. I want you to use your words in such a way that you put on display Jesus Christ so that others might actually know, that others might see and hear the gospel because of what you say. See, we're called to speak the truth, we're called to love the truth, and we're called to proclaim the truth. In fact, finally, Paul says, we are to build one another up, and here's how. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's where it turns around completely, right? What Paul is saying is you are being called as Christians to be a display of Jesus so that in everything you say, in everything that you're doing, it is praising and giving thanks to God for the redemption that he's given and that you are addressing one another in what? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
In fact, the worship that we do here together has a purpose, that we might build one another up in our faith, that we might come to know Jesus more and more. And so as we close, that's, that's where I'm going to leave us. See, we have a tradition here at Central that we finish each service with worship. In fact, that's on purpose because we want to respond in this way. We want to use our words in such a way that it would magnify what Jesus has done. So let me invite the worship team to come to the front again. And let's actually put this into practice. Let's actually sing with one another that we might build one another up in the faith so that we might go out and be representatives of Jesus Christ with our very words. As we come to a close throughout this whole series, we've been ending with a corporate confession. It's a confession of our sins. It's a determination that says, I'm no longer going to hide behind all of the lies. Rather, I'm going to come to God and I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to tell that I am not worthy in it of myself, that I have failed, but that Jesus has redeemed me and his mercy makes me new. So let's pray together and let's worship together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, that you have not abandoned us in our lives. Father, I pray, would you be conforming our hearts again and again, that we might delight to speak the truth, that we might delight to proclaim the goodness of who you are. Father, our mouths are made for the purpose of lifting up praises to the glory of your grace. Father, may that always be true. Might our hearts, might our lips, and might our lives be conformed to the image of your Son. We pray these things in your merciful name. Amen.